American corn farmers, a proud and chosen profession inspired through generations. Tested, resilient, and committed to giving back as much as they're growing, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with every bushel, while replenishing every increasingly precious resource, like the reduction of soil loss by 40% with every acre grown. In a world where sustainability matters more than ever, we need all the help we can get. And there's no greater resource than the capable hands of American corn farmers. Hello and welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast, a Say It Again Network podcast. If you're a fan of the Kansas City Royals or baseball in general, please subscribe to the podcast. We provide game analysis, previews, reactions, and much more. I am Jake Camilham, and joining me, as always, is the beat of Kansas City, the Jayhawk fan, Lucas Murphy. Lucas, how are you doing tonight? Well, you know, that's going to be a constant trend because KU basketball season officially, officially kicks off. We're looking at a hopefully a victory here in about two minutes. Uh, I'm a big time KU fan, obviously, but I'm here to talk Royals and we have another amazing guest on. And I'm excited to hear what he has to say about some of these minor leaguers. So I'll let you go ahead and introduce him, Jacob. Yes, sir. He's the man over at Royals Farm Report, Alex Duvall. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, fellas. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, no, th- thank you, man. Y'all are doing some pretty, pretty dang good work over there. I, I do have to say. Well, I appreciate that. We, um, we've got a staff that collectively is, um, you know, the the brain trust is probably larger and and more intelligent than maybe it appears on on screen and on paper. Sometimes <laughs> I see you got a our Royals Farm Report shirt on over there. Thanks to our guys over at Glory Days Threads for getting those out. That um helped us. We got it. We were able to cut a pretty good check to um, a couple different guys at right for us. A couple guys are contributing. We got another, uh, uh, a new writer, Jared Perkins, who was covering the ALs, the high a central, I'm sorry. Um, this past summer for prospects, 1500, he's going to come right for us a little bit, a little more. So able to, you know, help fund the podcast a little bit, help pay a couple more writers. So that was a pretty big boost for us. So I appreciate you guys uh, chipping in there. Of course, sir. And yeah, we are, we're definitely going to have Jared on the pod. He's actually set to record with us next week. So we're very much looking forward to the insight he brings to Royals Farm Report. But Lucas, just like you said, we're here to talk about some Royals prospects. You know, we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, we could be talking about free agents. We could, could be talking about gold glove snubs. You know, AL MVP snubs. There, there's a lot to talk about, but we're, we're going to talk about some good things here with some of that deep, deep Royals farm system. Um, Alex, you know, just off the cuff, who's who's someone you've been looking at lately? You know, a guy I've been watching more and more of, especially as he gets into the Arizona Fall League, is Zach Hockey. Zach Hockey's Rule Five eligible uh, this off season, and it's kind of. You know, it's kind of one of those things where he is definitely a guy you could see a bad team trying to stash, but it's also like the Royals have so many more problems and good problems to have, but they have so many more roster problems they have to look at and construct and figure out what the, where which direction they're going to go. That I don't know if Zach Hockey's going to make the cut, and, the, and that's it. Kind of sucks because Zach Hockey's a guy you'd love to keep around. Zach Hockey's going to be the casualty, I think, of what is a good forty-man roster. 
And I think there's a decent chance he gets picked up. I mean, you think about a guy like Brad Keller, who when we drafted Brad Keller, it was situational. So we needed, you know, arms. Um, Brad Keller always had good stuff that you kind of squinted and could see some strikeout numbers. Maybe there was a, there's a few issues that weren't really coming through in terms of results, but the stuff was always there. And you're like, Hey, go get him. And if he, if he doesn't work out, you send him home, but go get him. Let's see what happens. And now Brad Keller's pretty good. So I'm not insisting Zach hockey is that actually, I think Zach hockey and Brad Keller are still similar in age, like right now. So Zach hockey is even pretty old for the level, but you know, he's got good stuff. He's got like legitimate strikeout stuff and he's a, probably a reliever long-term, but I think the Royals could definitely like risk losing him. And I don't think it's going to matter. I'm super excited that this was like the first topic because I really do have a question related to this. So we are seeing that we're clearing some room on the 40 man. Who do you think that will get added that way? They don't get necessarily claimed in the rule five. Well, I think you have three locks. I think Jonathan Bolin is a lock, especially, and I'll admit, I don't know how it works with players who are coming off of Tommy John. Like if the Royals add Jonathan Bolin to their 40 man roster, they can put him on the 60 as soon as opening day, right? As soon as the season starts, they put him on the 60 day IL. He goes in rehabs. We're good. If a team drafts him in the rule five, I'm assuming they can do the same thing. So he would be super easy to stash for another team. You just draft him. He's rehabbing from Tommy John. You have a legitimate reason to have him on the 60 day IL. There's 100. There's, there's no shot. The Royals leave him unprotected because it would be so easy to stash him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, maybe your best pitching prospect that you have in the system, including Asa Lacey and Alec Marsh. Jonathan Bolin is awesome. So Jonathan Bolin is getting added to the 40 Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, also getting added to the 40. There is no world in which those two don't get added to the 40-man roster here in a few weeks. From there, you look at guys like Austin Cox. Austin Cox, left-handed pitcher, double A. Like, he's probably getting drafted by a bad team just to see what he's got. Um, I think the Royals probably protect him. They were much higher on him than maybe his fifth-round draft selection would lead you to believe. I think he's getting protected. And I never thought I'd say this. There's a chance Suli Matias gets protected. I know you guys <laughs> want to talk about him later on. Man, he he's polarizing, and he would do, he would be awful if he gets drafted. He's going to go to somebody and be terrible. But he is hurt so often. I mean, Elvis Luciano gets drafted. He goes to Toronto. They put him on the 60-day IL in, like, May or June, and he never comes back. Like it would be sort of easy to do that with Suli's injury history. So I know the Royals love him as a player, but also as a person. And, and you can, you, we've seen them take care of their own, right? I mean, giving extensions to Salvador Perez when he didn't, they didn't have to, um, giving an extension to Hunter Dozier. I think they pretty clearly picked their favorites. And I think Suli is one of their favorite people. And I think they're going to look for an excuse to protect him. And I think his performance in Arizona this fall might be that excuse they were looking for. Yeah, we're uh, we're going to jump right into talking about him because, you know, saying he's polarizing, he's kind of been polarizing for a few years now. Um, you know, it's either, you know, he doesn't fit with the small ball mentality of the Kansas City Royals or, you know, he's going to be the next big thing at the major league level. And thing something that people need to remember is he's only 23 years old. He's still fairly young and would fit into 
this Kansas City Royals timeline. And his performance down in Arizona should not be ignored by any stretch. He has one of the best performances at the plate. But the guy hits what? I mean, 220, 230, maybe. But golly, when you hear his bat hit the ball, I mean, Alex, what what, what are you gonna do, man? It's it. I think my buddy Joel, the the host of our Royals Farm Report podcast the other day, said it best. He's like, he, Suli Matias, is the epitome of when you hear scouts and coaches say the ball sounds different coming off their bat. That is Suli Matias. Like, I was, we were, we were interviewing um, Michael Massey and Will Klein after they won the High A Central Championship on our podcast. And one of them said that they were, shagging fly balls in the outfield and all of a sudden they hear whack and they're like there's no question about who it is like it's you know from anywhere you are in the ballpark when Suli Matias steps into to the batter's box take BP and, and I think it speaks to like this idea that as an organization you want to buy tools and Suli Matias has an 80 grade tool and you don't have those very often you have Nick Heath and Terrence Gore type of runners you have like Adalberto Mondesi type of runners with also like when he was coming up, like really, really good fielding tool as well, but you don't get guys like that very often. So when you get a guy like that, who has any kind of a tool that you could argue is 80 grade, you're going to look for reasons to keep them. And and also you're going to look for reasons like to draft them in the rule five draft. If you're Baltimore or Arizona, who's not invested in his future, Baltimore could select Suli Matias in the rule five draft and not care if he sucks. They're not attached to Suli the way the team that signed him when he was 16 years old is attached to him. So, you know, I think there's a emotional investment that the Royals have in Suli that a drafting team wouldn't. And I think that might be the difference in him being on our 40 man roster or somebody else's. I'm going to play a little bit of a, I guess not necessarily a devil's advocate, but We've heard some rumors, and I'm going to kind of dabble in this, Jacob, just a little bit, but we've heard some rumors that, you know, we're looking to add some pieces and a trade could be something that we're interested in. Would you, would Suli be something that probably could draw something like we've, you know, a lot of people are interested in Chris Bassett, maybe some of those Oakland starters, uh, a few others. Do you think they would be interested in maybe trading Suli before that rule five even occurs? Well, here's a fun one for you. Do you know which of those Oakland starters is a free agent after the end of the 2022 season? Mm, is it Manaya? It is Manaya. Sean Manaya is a free agent after the 2022 season. You talk about the perfect kind of guy to try to pawn off the Oakland A's this year. And for a pitcher with one year left on his deal, yeah, I think Suli Matias could be maybe not the centerpiece, but if the if the trade revolved around Suli Matias – and Austin Cox. I think you get Sean Mania for that. And those are two guys that have to be on your 40 man roster this off season or their 40 man or their rule five eligible. They're both guys who are fringe keepers. They're not guarantees to make your roster. They're probably, well, Cox would, I, I really do think Cox would probably get drafted. Matias is a whole other thing um, in terms of the rule five draft, but you're telling me that the Oakland days would be interested in Austin Cox and Suli Matias for, Shaman, I, I can see it. Like, I don't think that'd be too ridiculous. I think that you'd probably just throw another lottery ticket in there. A, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know. I haven't spent too much time thinking about that, but I, I, maybe that doesn't get it done in totality, but it, if that's the center of it, I think that gets something like that done. 
that's a, that's a good thing to look forward to. And, you know, maybe, uh, maybe another piece like Zach hockey, you know, he's a lower, he's a lower Royals prospect, but he might just be that cherry on top to get a trade done. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If they're a fringe guy and you can afford to lose them, you know, why, why not get an upgrade? And, you know, the Royals certainly need a starting pitching upgrade. Um, you know, st- we're, if we're going to stick on pitching, let's, let's talk about the return on this Jorge Soler trade. Um, you know, it really, it really came back up after we saw what Jorge did in the world series, winning the world series MVP. And we're just like, wait, wait a minute. What do we, what do we get in return for the world series MVP? You know, who's this Casey Kalich guy, um, Alex, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit more about Casey Kalich as a, as a prospect? Yeah, he's got big stuff. Um, I really like the curveball. The The fastball is good. He throws a fastball hard. I don't know necessarily about the profile overall. There's so much that goes into it these days that you, we can sit here and talk about forever um, and, and the way that we use it. His fastball is good. It's not great, even though he does throw it pretty hard. His curveball is really good. I really like his curveball. And by the way, as a, as a reliever, that's that's most of what you need is a hard fastball and a really good curveball. Um, he also throws a little cutter, and I don't know how much I was able to distinguish the the feed that we get from Quad Cities on minor league baseball TV is horrific when you're trying to judge a pitcher. So <laughs> most of the games I watch for Quad Cities are on the road because I can actually see what's going on with the pitch. Like I don't have to guess if Nick Lofton hit a home run on a pitch down the middle or if it was a pitch inside. Right. So I try not to watch them at home because it's just, it's brutal. Um, but anyway, I did catch an inning or two of Casey Kalich's on the road. All the reports I read about him when he came over suggested he had a cutter. It looks like he might throw a little bit of a cutter. I don't know. Like I haven't seen enough of it to differentiate it and, and like really, identify if it's a if it's a real pitch form or not but the idea that he's willing to work with it the idea that he could be willing to incorporate a third pitch into his arsenal to keep guys off his fastball makes him a legitimate big league relief option and by the way talking about an organization who won a world series on the back of one of the world's greatest bullpens one of the league's greatest bullpens ever um and had jj piccolo tonight on josh vernier's royals show that he did at six o'clock Mentioned wanting to stack that bullpen again. So they're always looking for ways to rebuild the bullpen. Casey Kalich is a great relief prospect. Now, what is a great relief prospect? It's, you know, your 50th best prospect in your entire system. (laughs) But in terms of trying to rebuild your bullpen, a really good start for a guy who Jorge Soler had like 10 good games all year before he was traded. So I know the media likes to spin like, well, he was coming back to life. Like what, what's, what are the Red Sox supposed to do? Just assume that he's fixed. He's back. Here's our top prospect for him. Like, thank you very much. So, you know, I know, I know it it sucks to look back on it and hindsight's always in 2020, but the fact that the Royals got Casey Kalich for what Jorge Soler was doing at the time is actually pretty playable. Like you'll take that considering he was awful in a Royals uniform uh, in 2021. Not necessarily a question, but I'm I'm glad to hear that because I think I'm one of the advocates that I'm more excited to see some of this young pitching come up and actually contribute in the pen because we have a lot of guys that throw flames. I mean, 
they truly do. And I think that they really do fit well in the bullpen. And I'm hoping that this front office actually really truly considers those guys plugging in and really making a dominant bullpen again with young talent versus going out and signing a Wade Davis or a Greg Holland this year. Just give some of them young guys the opportunity to just go out there and like, like Coleman. I'm a huge fan of Coleman. I like Zerpa. I like those guys. Like, I feel like some of those guys are going to be good pieces for that. And um, I, I hope that that's just something that they consider. Yeah, I, I agree. You know what the best way to help out a young rotation is? Have an elite bullpen. Yeah. That's the best way to do it. Um, I heard, I think it was Kent Swan. Man, I'm not even going to speculate. I heard somebody early on when the, when the Chiefs signed Joe Tooney in free agency, um, and it was pretty apparent they were going to have to draft a new center before they drafted Creed Humphrey. Somebody made the point. You know what would help out a rookie center really well? having the best left guard in football to his left. Right. So it is possible even in baseball where you're, it's a pretty isolated sport for the players on either side of you to make you better. Um, And I think having an elite bullpen would take a lot of pressure off of a starting rotation who wasn't very good in 2021. So you'll get a couple more relievers. Jackson Coar goes out there, gives you a five innings, a four run ball. That's not great. If your bullpen gives up two or three, but if you can go out there, give up five innings, a four-run ball, get four runs out of your offense, and know your bullpen's going to hold it down, well, you're in every game. And Jackson Coar's numbers at the end of the year may not be very good, but we're going to look back and go, man, the Royals were in a lot of games because their bullpen was rock solid. And that's a confidence builder for Jackson Coar and the rest of those pitchers. And I think, you know, sometimes this gets overlooked. We talked to J.J. Piccolo. We talked to M.J. Melendez and Nick Prado. All three of them echoed the same sentiment about their 2019 seasons that heading into spring training for 2020 before things got shut down and heading into fall camp of 2020 and in spring training 2021, the number one biggest thing they always talked about was winning the championship in 2019 in Wilmington. They didn't talk about their struggles. They didn't talk about how bad they were. They talked about team success. So if you're the Royals, trying to build a good team to alleviate the pressure of young players, building an elite bullpen is the cheapest thing that you can be elite at. So go, go do it. Alleviate the pressure off some of your other young guys, the offensive players, the defensive players, the starting rotation and have an elite bullpen. So that when we look back on 2022, we can go, man, they didn't make the playoffs, but that was a good baseball team. They're clearly making strides in the right direction. And the young guys weren't great, but they're clearly making strides as well. Yes, sir. Can't, can't agree more. And, you know, I think all of us here as longtime fans of the Royals, we can all agree, you know, some of the staples of Kansas city ball are a good defense, good base running and a good bullpen. And for a while now, you know, for, well, for a couple of years, at least, it seems like the Royals have had two of those three, you know, maybe with some of these young guys coming up, we can get that third piece and get back to contending in the AL central. Um, Lucas, do you have a? Do you have anything to, anything to add on the Casey Kalich? I, I I could not agree more. I'm excited for his tools. I'm excited for his pitch repertoire. Uh, that curveball, you know, for what I can see too, I think is is going to be nasty. So I, I'm excited to see what he can do. You know, it, as just a, a fan, you you see these trades happen, like a normal fan would see this trade happen and not really dive in too much. And I'm hoping that he pans out and really kind of makes it worth it. So. 
Could not agree more. Well, we're we're gonna stick with the with the prospects, but we're gonna go to one that's really only been showing up in MLB rankings for quite a while now. It seems um, outfielder by the name of Eric Pena, a pretty Ooh. young guy, <laughs> described as a pretty raw guy. Luke, Lucas, why are you laughing over there, man? Because <laughs> uh, I'm just laughing. I I know, man. I know I got a funny face. I know that all our listeners out there ain't, you know, ain't having to deal with this, but, uh, but uh, no, it's, it's probably that Southern draw sign trying to say pain you, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about Eric? Eric Pena probably has, let's just pretend that the big three, we're not counting guys at triple a, right? So we're talking mostly double a down, of any hitter in the system, double A and down, he probably has the highest ceiling, including like Suli Matias, because Eric Pena could probably like at his peak, if we're talking like Eric Pena, everything works, everything breaks his way. And we get the all-star we think he is like you talk again. I want to, I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm talking about like the top 1% outcome is like a Carlos Beltran type player. I mean, he is awesome, man. I, I love watching Eric Pena, like, play baseball. I know he wasn't very good in Arizona last year. Like, I, I know he struck out a lot. I heard from different scouts that they weren't even watching the Arizona Summer League last year because it was so bad overall. So I'm trying not to put too much stock into what Eric Pena went down and did in Arizona. Eric Pena is probably like a really, just a really good player. Like, you know, if he's a David DeJesus type, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Uh, a three to four win player who's in your system for a long time. If he's an all-star, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he didn't make the big leagues, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, there's just a wide range of outcomes on a kid who's like 18 years old, right? So I think it's likely that he starts the year in Columbia next year. I don't think it's guaranteed. I think there's a chance he starts the year over in Arizona and maybe is in Columbia before like that Arizona league starts. So before the draft, but doesn't start with Columbia. If, if he goes out to Columbia and hits well, people are going to be going nuts because there's going to be footage of him every day. There's going to be access to him every day. And if we can actually get good numbers on him from a league that we can identify as having quality opponents, it's going to be hard to contain that excitement because that kid is so athletic. His hands, I've never seen a kid at 17 years old and and 16 when he was an instructs flick his hands at a baseball with so much authority. Like we think about Nicky Lopez type of hitters is throwing their hands at the ball. Eric Pena throws his hands at a ball in a similar fashion and then blows the ball up. I mean, it is, it is truly impressive. I, I honestly, I've never seen a Royals prospect with hands like this ever. And now I've been covering the Royals forever, like since 2016. So let's, let's make sure that we use context here, but in the last five years, I've not seen a Royals prospect use his hands like this. And probably the most comparable player that I can think of, like off the top of my head is like Lewis Robert, which by the way, if, if I can just cut out to Lewis really quick, when he came over from Cuba and people started pronouncing his name, Lewis, Luis Robert, I'm like, there is no way that <laughs> Luis Robert, Luis Robert is from Cuba and his last name is Robert. 
And recently he did an interview. He's like, yeah, no, it's Robert. I have no idea why people are saying Robert. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for saying something like correct the people. So now I'm going to have to like reteach myself what I already knew was true. And I started saying Robert to appease the crowd. But anyway, Luis Robert, his hands like Eric Payne is are like that explosive. Like it truly is impressive where Luis Robert would throw his hands at a baseball and the ball would explode off of his bat. I mean, the tools are, are similarly loud. Even Sully Matias, as much power as we say he has, there's a lot that goes into that swing. There's a lot of legs, a lot of hips, and a lot of arms that are involved in creating that kind of power. And Eric Payne, doesn't have that kind of power, but it's all in his hands, which if you can assume that having good hands will lead to more contact than having that kind of authority, it just – there is such a wide array of like outcomes for Pena because of that, that I think it's really, really fair to be excited about him. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And especially, you know, you look at MLB.com's rankings of the world's prospects, you know, Eric Pena, he's ahead of guys like Frank Mazzucato, Ben Kuderna, Nick Lofton. I mean, all these high draft selections, all these high ceiling guys that fans are hyping up. And then just, you know, nestled in there right behind Kyle Isbell is Eric Pena. So we'll, uh, I'm sure it'll be a couple more years before we see him have a legitimate shot at making the major leagues. But, you know, if he just keeps getting better and better slowly, who knows? That's all you can ask out of these prospects, I think. Well, and they're in good hands now. Uh, Drew Saylor, Alex Zumwalt, there is nobody that I would trust them more in the hands of um, we've seen what they've been able to do with Melendez and Prado and Pasquantino has been really good. And Kyle Isbell came back and was really good. And Sully Matias looks like he may be turning a corner, right? So if there's anybody who's going to be able to get it done for Pena, it's going to be Drew Saylor, Alex Zumwalt, Keone Dorini, and Mike Tosar. I am pumped for these guys to all be in the system. And I just pray the Royals figure out a way uh, to keep all four of those guys together. Oof, that'll uh, might have to open up a pocketbook a little bit for that one. Not not gonna lie. Um, well, Alex, we're gonna we're gonna pivot back over to the pitching prospects because you know everyone was talking about this 2018 group of pitchers coming up, and we all we all saw them in 2021. Um, but there, quietly, there's kind of another group of pitchers coming up behind them. Um, could you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, well, I, I know everybody gets caught up in – it was the well, it was the core four, right? It's Bubich, Singer, um, uh, Kowar, and um, Lynch, right? Well, if you add in Carlos Hernandez with all those guys, all five of those guys are in the big leagues. And now behind them you have Jonathan Bolin, Jonathan Heasley, Angel Zerpa, Asa Lacey, and Austin Cox. Like you got five more – legitimate big league starting pitching prospects right behind him. I didn't even mention Alec Marsh. There's a sixth one, right? So you have like 11 legitimate starting pitching prospects all within like two years of each other, which is outstanding. It is very like Atlanta Braves ish from a few years ago. And we saw that in Atlanta, you have to have a lot of these guys, Sean Newcomb, not a big league starter. Is that his name? Yeah. Sean Newcomb lefty, not a big league starter. Luis, Luis, um, oh man, now I'm forgetting some of these guys. You, you get my point. I think it was like Luis Go, 
Goza, maybe is his last name. Another yeah. left-handed pitching prospect everybody thought was going to be really good. D- flamed out. And so we've seen with the Braves, you need 10 or 11 starting pitching prospects if you're going to try to get a whole rotation because only like two or three of them are going to hit. And the Braves, would they ride the, to the World Series? Charlie Morton, a big league veteran. Ian Anderson, one of their homegrown guys. Max Freed, one of their homegrown guys. And that was enough in terms of like the bulk of their starting rotation. Now, obviously they had other guys, but you're going to need 11 pitching prospects to get two or three starters. And I think that's what we saw in Atlanta is if you can develop them all, you go get a few bats, you develop a star and a Cunha, you go out and you fill in the rest of it. World series are possible very quickly because you're not having to spend tons and tons of money to have a one good starting pitcher. So I think Atlanta is the blueprint. I think Atlanta is what you hope the Royals can be in a few years. And let's say, by the way, let's say that Nicky Lopez can be Dansby Swanson ish, which I think Nicky Lopez was better this year. Can Bobby Wood Jr. Be Acuna ish? Probably not. Acuna is one of the best young players we've ever seen, but can he fill that type of role for your team? We saw the Braves win the world series without him, by the way. Um, can he be Austin Riley, who was really good for them this year? Can Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and Salvador Perez combine to give you like Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, and then Jock Peterson's production? There's a path because you know what carried Atlanta once once their core got them to the World Series. You know who carried them through it? Bullpen. Solaire. Solaire and Solaire. Jorge Solaire in the bullpen. So a guy they traded for at the deadline and then a bullpen that just pitched out of its mind, like Tyler Matzik, who, right? Yeah. Tyler Matzik's out here saving World Series games. So, again, you develop an elite bullpen and a few things break your way. And could the Royals do in 2025 what the Braves just did in 2021? I think so. I think they're absolutely on that track. Yeah, and there's um I mean, shoot, you you just look at the full list of of those Royals farm and like there's so many good prospects that are starting right now that would just be otherworldly bullpen pieces. Like honestly, I I think a Noah Murdoch with that. I mean, he was he was starting games down there in high A, but golly, if you can get, you know, that's a guy you can get one or two shut out innings out of and you know we already talked about it that's that's something that this Kansas City team just really needs right now to shore up that uh that starting rotation because Lucas you and I talked about this during the actual season we were we were pretty tired of seeing guys like Urban Santana and Wade Davis and Greg Holland and nothing against them and nothing what nothing against what they've done in the past but you know, we're, we're just ready for that new wave, man. For sure. For sure. I'm excited to see what, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what this young group can, can do and how they can contribute. And I, man, I, I'm just beyond excited to see the flames that are coming from their arms. And, you know, that's, what's going to be exciting is, I mean, that's the wave of baseball. I mean, we're seeing guys touch a hundred, like it's nothing now. I mean, we were talking Kuderna and he's like, yeah, I'm, basically touching a hundred. We talked to, you know, Will Klein, Will Klein's like, yeah, I hit 102. Like that just seems very common. And it's just, it's incredible to hear because when I was going through college, something that we always was excited to do was try to touch 90. Now they're like, Hey, we're going to touch a hundred. And that's just, it's incredible to me. 
Yes, sir. Couldn't agree more. Well, Alex, you know, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Uh, it was pretty short and sweet. And we do, uh, hopefully we can have you back on the show later on, you know, talk more about what y'all are doing over there. Royals farm report. Uh, where can people find your work? Uh, on Twitter, we're over. It's at Royals, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at Royals farm, um, spelled exactly like it sounds Royals farm, RoyalsFarmReport.com. We're on Facebook as well. So, um, Facebook, Twitter, the interwebs, wherever you're at, Royals Farm Report, RoyalsFarmReport.com. Uh, come over and, and read us. Like I said, we got a podcast. We, um, we're a part of the Royals Review Radio channel. So, if you Apple Podcast, Spotify, go over to Royals Review Radio. Um, I host the Royals Review Radio podcast, actually. And then the Royals Farm Report podcast is on that same channel. So, you can find all our work through there as well. Well, good stuff, man. Good stuff, man. Lucas, where can folks find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at uh, the beat of KC. Um, and then I've been doing a ton of writing over at the KC Kingdom. Recently took uh, the site expert position over there. And then uh, obviously you can find me at Fan Nation for SI Royals. Uh, got a big uh, article coming out tomorrow with our interview for Tyler Zuber. That's where you can find me. Yes, sir. And make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at SIA Royal Rundown. Um, again, I am Jake Milham. You can find me at Jmill the Ham on Twitter. And thank you again for listening. And until next time, go Royals. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired a nature show host. In the native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got Geico, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. Geico will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. Geico. Great service. Without all the drama. Join Tubi in celebrating Black History Month with the largest free collection of black cinema streaming every day of the year, including exclusive Tubi originals, Howard High, and Pass the Mic. Tubi. Watch free.